title of the sermon today, A Say. Not say it again, but a say. Uh, somebody said this morning, did you say essay? <laughs> no, 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 a say. <laughs> the acid test, an assayer determines the value of the precious metals that you bring to him. He tests the density, he tests the weight, he tests the, the purity, he tests the value of a metal that you would bring to him. After a lot of thought and deliberation with other people, the, the better uh, title may have been Warning, Will Robinson, Warning. <laughs> or Danger, Will Robinson, Danger. <laughs> There's a danger that we're going to look at. Um, and in order to tell how to distinguish what that danger is, I've come up with a theory of an acid test, but it's not really the theory. I guess I'm going to pull it from the scriptures. We're going to test what false prophets have to teach. We're going to test what preachers preach from this pulpit, and we're going to use an acid test to see if it is valid, if it's the validity of it, the validity of the teaching is from Christ, is from God himself, is from the scriptures, or if it's from a false prophet, false teaching, which would be satanic lies. As we go through this, I'm going to talk to you about uh, the 49ers, <laughs> bringing gold, your own gold. We're going to talk about what a false prophet looks like, the, the satanic lies that he promotes, the spirit of the Antichrist. We'll um, also look at the spirit of God and what the apostles had to teach. And then we're going to apply an acid test to see if we can distinguish between the two teachings. The the, in 1849, everybody remembers that date? Was anybody around? 1849 is remembered in famous infamy in history for what? The gold rush, famous 49ers. That's what our San Francisco 49ers are named after the gold rush. The gold rush will crush you. Basically, the stampede of getting to the end zone, the goal, is going to stamp you and stomp you, and we are going to win the victory of rushing for the gold of the end zone. So when the gold rush started taking on its fervor, when it started building, Many people, John Doe and Jane Doe, hit the wagon. They put Grandma on the wagon, and they headed west. They headed west to California for the gold rush. And when they got there, a lot of John Doe's like myself, got out there and started digging. Just digging anywhere, right? Digging for gold, trying to change our fortune, trying to change our future, trying to become wealthy and rich by digging for this gold. So as we found all the things that glittered in the ground, we just stuffed it into our sacks. And as we took all that glittered in the afternoon sunlight to the assayer, the man who weighs the density, the value, um, the product of the metal that you bring him, we would bring that to the assayer and dump out all of our glitter all over his table and just wait to become the richest man alive. And as the assayer would look at many of the fortunes that were brought to him, he would say, yes, what you have here glitters. It shines. But it's called fool's gold. It's called fool's gold. Basically, you have a pile of dirt right here, I think they call iron pirate, and it's worth nothing. Man, what a disappointment that would be. That would be like getting a lottery, one of those fake lottery tickets. You're so excited that you got the real thing. You go to call in a number, and it says winner on there. Everything says winner, and then they say, oh, you got a fake. Wouldn't that be so disheartening? We have to be aware of false teachers. 
Because not everything that glitters is gold. We have to be able to tell the difference between what they teach and what the Scripture teaches. What God really wants us to understand and know. What the Spirit teaches within us what's false and what's true. So take, for example, a modern-day scenario. Here you have a, a few different bottles on the next slide. If you take your gold, say we have a, somebody out here giving away gold. He gives away 10-carat gold at one door, 14-carat, 18-carat, 24-carat gold at these different doors. Well, if anything says anything, I want the one that says 24, right? Because that sounds like it's the biggest number. Sounds like it's the best thing. So as you go, you want to know which one is the best gold, which one's the purest gold. You take this little porcelain um, plate, and you take and you scratch the gold on that. You take these mixtures here. We'll take the one that's just for 24-karat gold. Because 24-karat gold is actually the pure gold. It's undefiled. It's the purest you can get, the purest form. It is true gold, the most valuable. Right now, I think it's dropped all the way to $1,400 an ounce. <laughs> an ounce. <laughs> that's a good $1,400. I think it was up to $1,700, almost $1,800 for a while there, right? Very valuable. So you take and you scratch it on there, and as you scratch it on there, you take the 24-carat test, which is acid, and you pour it on the line that you just scratched. And as it disappears, you know that you do not have 24-carat gold. But you have gold that is mixed with other metal elements. It is not the pure gold, the real thing. It has gold in it, but it's not pure gold. As you scratch the pure gold on there, and you take the test for 24 karat gold, and you put that acid on there, and you cover it up, you can still see the gold shining through the acid. That's how you know that you have pure gold. As we go through here, we'll get towards the end, and we'll give an acid test. Now, there's many religions out there, many faiths, many things out there, teaching from false prophets that have some gold in it. But it's been diluted. It's been watered down. It's been changed and is no longer the absolute word of God. A lot of religions, a lot of faiths say, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal. All good things. But it is not all the word of God of the things that they teach. Here's our scripture reading for the day. It's uh, 1 John 4. 1 through 6. The title of our series is In the Know. I write these things to you who believe in the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John chapter 5, verse 13. There's a lot of people that will come up to you. There's a lot of people throughout history that say, we are in the know. I have a special revelation from God and I am the one in the know. When you hear these things, sometimes it might shake you a little bit. It might upset the apple cart a little bit. But John is writing this so that you may know through the scriptures, through the testimony of the Holy Spirit in your life, that you, in fact, have eternal life. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is from, is, 
does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is even now already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. I'm going to read the same scripture again. I just um, grouped it a little bit different here. 1 John 4, 1 through 6. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is even now already in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. I categorize that a little bit different just so you can understand the full gamut, the full weight of false teaching, and then the full weight of being in Christ and understanding the teachings of Christ. First, we want to take a look at false prophets, the spirit of the Antichrist, satanic lies. So what you have is you have Satan who wants to be God, who's in a power struggle with God, wants to be him. If he cannot be God, at least he wants to destroy everything that is created in the image of God. So therefore, he propagates his lies. He uses the spirit of the Antichrist, which is already in the world, even though the Antichrist himself is not yet here. The exact one who will bring such a deception that if it were possible, would even deceive the ones who are sealed with the Holy Spirit, the ones who believe in God. It's not possible for him to deceive us. You got to know that off the bat. It is not possible for Satan to deceive us. He can make us worry. He can cause some problems in our lives, but he can't deceive us, and he can't make us lose our salvation. But through false prophets and false teaching, we could be led down the wrong path and doubt the things that Christ has taught us and doubt our own salvation. I have a quick test for you. Can you recognize the false prophet? Anybody got him yet? Sometimes it's hard to determine who the false prophet might be. If he's mixed in among us, walking with us, talking with us, dining with us, fellowshipping with us. As you have heard from the beginning, his command that you walk in love. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver the deceiver, the devil, and the Antichrist. 
That's pretty powerful um, statements to make against false teaching, but it's true. It's true. You have to understand that when somebody comes up to you with a leaflet and advertises that, wow, man, you got to know our way. Let me tell you about Jesus. We love him. Um, he, he's, he's the man who died on the cross, but he's not God. He's a prophet. He's a great teacher, but he's not God. What he said was pretty good, but some of it needed to be corrected. So I want to let you know how to correct what Christ has already taught in the Scriptures. The Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist, does not acknowledge Jesus is from God. First things that they'll do, first two things that automatically, right off the bat, that you'll understand that this is false teachings, it's not of Christ, it's not scriptural, is they'll deny Jesus is God, or they'll deny Jesus came in the flesh. As soon as they deny these two things, run, because you don't have pure gold. You got 18 karat gold, you may even get 10 karat gold. I don't want 10 karat gold, I want 24 karat gold. And I think you want the 24 karat gold too. You want the truth that God has for us. Satan wants to be in place of God. He wants to be God. And so therefore the lies that he propagates cause confusion and dissension among our people and cause a worry. The thing is, is to understand how to get rid of that worry, how to not have that dissension, to put that dissension at rest, and how to... Um, Comfort those who may be confused about what's being taught by a false prophet. Oh, how would we do that? How would we understand that? Well, first, Paul writes to us in 2 Corinthians 2.11, in order that Satan might not outwit us, because that's his plan, but he won't, for we are not unaware of his schemes. If you're brought a new prophecy or a new understanding or a new book about God. You have to know the schemes of Satan first and the things that he is trying to do to change your mind, to shake and rattle your cage, to upset you or even make you feel like you've lost your salvation, which is not possible because you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We take, for example, understanding Satan's deceptions and schemes from the Garden of Eden. The first attack that he makes that we have recorded is Eve. First, he throws doubt on what God has already said. The first thing he does is throws doubt on what God has said. He asks Eve, you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Wow, what a twist on that one, huh? From one tree being forbidden to every tree is forbidden? Who's this guy is telling you what to do? Every tree is forbidden, Eve. Casting doubt on what God has said. Did he say every tree? Maybe he said this tree and not that tree. Which tree was he talking about? All of a sudden, throwing doubt and confusion into the equation. Then, through deception, trying to deceive Eve, you surely will not die. God's exact words, you shall surely die. Satan says, you surely won't die. Certainly you won't die. The deception 
twisting God's words, changing it up so it almost sounds like it came from God, but it is not what God said. Then he distorts what God said. You will be like God. In other words, God's afraid that you'll be like him knowing you will know like God, and therefore you will be like God. You will be a challenge to him, and that's not what God wants. So if you don't want to be like God, don't eat from the tree. But if you want to be like God, this is the, this is the fruit that you want, the, the um, distortion of God's word. In the parable of the sower, as, this parable, as, a, as a sower sows the seed, as he scatters it on the ground, it says that the evil one comes by and snatches it away. Well, to understand this a little bit better, God's word is spoken. When you hear God's word, it doesn't leave you. It will not suddenly vanish like you've never heard it before. But Satan, through his doubt, deception, and distortion, he will shroud God's word in your heart. He will twist God's word. He will change it up as, that, as you've heard it and help you try to doubt it by bringing other things into what God has already said. Surely you won't die. You'll become like God. No. Did he really say that? What, what is he really trying to say? The word is spoken and it is there. It is in your mind. It is in your heart. It is on your tongue. But Satan will shroud that truth with lies and dilute it. In this way, he snatches it away from your heart. As we take and we understand the lies and the deception of Satan, we want to understand the spirit of Christ. The spirit of the Antichrist is to put himself his place in place of God, to usurp his authority in spite of God, to draw your affections away from God. The Spirit of God, the apostles' teachings, the apostles are from God. How do we know that? How, how, how would you say the apostles are from God? Am I the only one hot in here? Is there anybody else hot in here? <laughs> they preached the Word. Where, do you, where, where would you find that? There was no word. There was no New Testament. How could they test the prophets' teachings, the apostles' teachings? It became true. They had the Old Testament scriptures. If you want to test the New Testament, the two books to turn to, the number one and number two books to look at would be Isaiah and the Psalms. The majority of prophecies come out of Isaiah and the Psalms. The majority of prophecies that prove Christ is true, what is being taught in the New Testament, what has been written in the New Testament, you can find the roots of it in the Old Testament. So as they are preaching and teaching, the truth that they are teaching can be substantiated in the truths of God in the Old Testament scriptures. The other thing that's amazing in all of this process is the Holy Spirit testifying the Holy Spirit testifying to your spirit that these teachers are teaching the Word of God. They don't add to, they don't take away, they teach what God has told them to teach. The apostles are influenced by the Spirit and by the, and by the truth. Second Peter 2, 
or 2 Peter 1, 20, 21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through human, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we have evidences and ways to test even the apostles' teachings before the New Testament Scripture was written. You can even test the teaching in the New Testament Scripture by uh, mirroring it or testing the roots of it in Old Testament Scripture. The Scripture will not contradict itself. It will not contradict itself. You can have a way of understanding what is being taught. John 17, 17 says, Your word is truth. From Genesis to Revelation, God's word is truth. And it can all be substantiated. It can be weighed. It can be tested. You can put the acid test on it, and it will prove to be true. Now, I'm going to contrast demonic lies, false prophets a little bit right here, is in the spirit of God as we go through these concepts. First of all, acknowledges that Jesus is God. There is no way that you can offer a simple lamb for my sins and my sins be obliterated. In the Old Testament, a simple lamb was offered to cover the sins, not to obliterate the sins. Now, what's amazing is if I'm on death row and you bring a lamb in and give a lamb to the court for my freedom, I'm going to be jumping up and down. That's an amazing thing. I get my freedom by you giving a lamb. But if I'm on the auction block, if my future is weighing in a balance, and the only thing is offered for my life as a lamb, then that means that my life has been degraded to that of an animal. It's worth the value of an animal. It's not worth much if it's worth just a lamb. Something had to pay the price for my sins and the freedom that I have that was greater than a lamb. Something had to be offered, not just for my sins, but the sins for all of humanity from Adam to the last man who takes his last breath. There has to be an equal substitute for all of those sins, and an angel won't do it. There's teachings out there that there was an angel on the cross that paid the price for our sins. There's teaching out there that a video was broadcast from heaven that Jesus was on the cross. Just an image. Really a figmentation of our imagination. It wasn't Christ in the flesh. The only thing that would satisfy the full gamut of God's wrath would be God. The only thing that will bear the full penalty, the exhaustion of God exhausting his complete wrath on somebody would have to be God's son. You see, when Jesus was on the cross, he bore the full penalty of God's wrath. God was exhausted before he sat down. He exhausted his wrath of his hatred and anger towards sin on his son. I don't know if we'll fully understand the full gamut of that, but when the punishment, when the righteous wrath of God was placed on Christ, we know that it was finished when Christ said it is finished. It is finished. 
Christ is saying, I've paid the full penalty of all of your sins. Past, present, and future, from Adam to the last man takes his breath before God melts away the heavens and the earth. I have just now paid it all, and now I will give up my life in that ransom. See, if you deny Jesus came in the flesh, then you deny the virgin birth. If Jesus didn't come in the flesh, you deny the virgin birth, you might as well take Isaiah and throw it out. Because it says, if a prophet prophesies and is wrong one time, stone him. So if Isaiah's wrong on the virgin birth, you've got to throw away all of Isaiah's prophecies. We understand the evidence of Christ's life through Isaiah. As we read through Isaiah, you can see the life of Christ being portrayed all the way through that, the privilege of being on this side of the cross. If you acknowledge that Jesus came in the flesh, then you acknowledge that the blood that was spilt on the ground was the lifeblood that was given for the remission of sins, the obliteration of sins, not just a covering anymore. It's completely gone. It's an amazing thought that anybody sin this week. I'm the only one. Come on, guys. <laughs> that sin has been obliterated on the cross. The only thing that you need to do is get right with the Lord right now. That's the only thing that's left. The penalty for that sin has been paid. It's been erased already. What you need to do in your life is just say, Lord, I sinned and I need that forgiveness and I thank you for that blood that not only covers the sin, but obliterates it from all memory. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Wow, what an amazing thought. That sin I committed yesterday, two hours ago, driving here, as one of you guys cut me off on the freeway. <laughs> it's been paid for. It's been paid for. I just need to get right with the Lord in my relationship with him. I don't have to pay for that penalty. I don't have to pay for that sin. It's been done. It's been erased already. Wow, the privilege of a son. The privilege of a daughter. That's an amazing thought that your king is your daddy. It's an amazing thought that Christ is your brother. Sure, you want to bop your little brother when he messed up. You want to set him straight who's boss. But your ultimate love for your brother still reigns in your heart. The, the stress and strains between me and one of my brothers is tremendous. But my heart still aches to be in fellowship with him again. Even though your sins today, tomorrow, yesterday may still offend your big brother, he wants a relationship with you, and he erases all of that sin so that he can keep that relationship. He satisfied the righteous wrath of God for us. If you don't believe that Jesus came in the flesh, you might as well throw out the book of Hebrews. Because here we go. We have a high priest that sits down next to God. So he has to be God if he's sitting next to God. I don't even know if we'll see God the Father. And we may only see Christ in the flesh as he appears, as he appeared on earth. We may not even get the full gamut of his presence in our life. We probably will not see the Father. But in order to sit down next to the Father, you have to be God. So here, Jesus is sitting down next to the Father. 
If you deny that he came in the flesh, then you deny that he has empathy with us, that he sympathizes with us. You deny that he can intercede for us because he has no idea what we're going through. Oh, throughout the book of Hebrews. I like the book of Hebrews, so let's keep it. In the book of Hebrews, we have a high priest who empathizes with our weaknesses because he walked in our shoes. He was a man 100% just like you and me. He was God 100% and without sin. So, an acid test for the scriptures. An acid test for teaching. In that acid test, you have two things that you can apply. One, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. For greater is the God within you than the God of this world. So you have the Holy Spirit within you testifying, and you have scriptures to measure it against. Some of the schemes of a false prophet would say, I have a higher revelation. I have a new knowledge. I have a new scripture. I have a new book. Oh, our, our, our ancient father wrote this book. What uh, one, one theologian said is that they have the Bible in the right hand. And they say, I believe the Bible. I believe every word of it. But you know what? I have the other Bible in my left hand that supersedes these scriptures, that corrects these scriptures. It's an amazing thought. You'll have theologians write books about scripture. And they'll explain, oh, I would use this word rather than this word. I would interpret this Greek word this way rather than this way. But you don't have theologians who are Holy Spirit filled saying, oh, this section of the Bible is all wrong. Let's just delete it. Let me tell you what it's really saying. But with false teachers, they will take and say, no, this is wrong. What Christ said here needs to be refined so that you understand it. It's a little bit offensive. I don't really care for it. So let me tell you the real meaning behind this. I will correct these scriptures. So as we take and apply the acid test, here's what you need in your life so that you can test what is being taught. You can test anything that's being written about God, about the Holy Spirit. First, pray. In 1 John 3.24, it says, The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know this by the spirit he gave us. Another way of saying that, the one who keeps God's commands lives in God and God in them. And this is how we know that God lives in us. We know it by the spirit God gave us. John said in, in 1 John 4, 4, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So no matter what satanic lies may come up, no matter how scripture may be distorted, no matter what the deception may be, it is not enough to sway you. It is not enough to change scriptures. It is not enough to move the Holy Spirit testifying in your life. Now, as you pray and ask for God to illumine the truth in you through his Holy Spirit, you need to be carefully examining Scripture. You need to be in the Word. 
People could come up to you and start talking to you. Oh, this is in the Bible, and this is in the Bible, and, and let me tell you about this. And how will you really know? Your spirit may be moved. May, that doesn't sound like it fits, but he just said it's in the Bible. Examine the Scriptures because the Holy Spirit is moving you to examine the Scriptures to see if it's there, to see if it is true. Your own personal readings. Man, we have life groups. We have small groups. As you interact with them, as you take sermon notes, as you take in the notes, as you meet up with your groups, talk with somebody. Discuss these things with somebody who is in the know. Read it yourself. Pray for yourself to understand. And then test it with other people who are in the know. This is your acid test. This is how you'll know 18 karat gold, which looks beautiful. My wife does not mind if I give her an 18 karat gold necklace. But when it comes to the truth, you don't want 18 karat gold truth. It's only three quarters true. A quarter of it's a lie. A quarter of it's pot metal. A quarter of it's nickel. Nickel is what? 15 bucks an ounce? Gold, $1,400 an ounce? The scripture, you want pure scripture, pure gold from God. You don't want to settle for the substitutes of this world and the teachings of this world. Here's a great scripture. So as Paul is preaching, the Bereans are testing his preaching. They have an acid test. They're full of the Holy Spirit. They're full of God. They've accepted God. Christ as their, as their Savior. Now they have to test him against Scripture. Here's what the Bereans did. Now the Berean Jews were more noble, of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. The only Scriptures that they had to examine was what we call the Old Testament Scriptures at that time. And they were able, by the illumination of the Spirit, through prayer, discussing it with each other and examining the Scriptures, where they able to say what Paul is teaching is true. Can you distinguish a false prophet, satanic lies that are coming your way? The answer is yes, you can. Here's an acid test for you, an acid test that any one of us can carry along. We don't need a seminary degree to be able to test scriptures. It's amazing. If anybody tells you, do not read the Bible, there's something wrong with that religion, people. Don't read the Bible. What? It's the Holy Spirit within me and the scriptures that testify to the truth. You will know the truth by examining the scriptures yourself. I say start right here. Be a, be a minute man. Be a minute woman. Be a minute man. 15 minutes in the morning will change your life. 15 minutes will change your life. Read the Bible for seven minutes. Read a paragraph for seven minutes. Pray for eight minutes. I guarantee you, you do that for 30 days. What I would say is read... Um, Romans chapter 8 for 30 days. Spend that first seven and a half minutes reading Romans chapter 8 for 30 days and the other seven and a half minutes praying about what you read. 
Pray about what you read. Use those scriptures and pray those scriptures. Pray about the dire needs in your life at that time if you'd like, but spend those 15 minutes in the Word and praying, and you'll see dramatic, drastic changes in your life just from that 15 minutes dedicated to the Lord. Do we know what's going to happen? You're going to start having a hunger for a little bit more time. So set aside the time when you, you pray for 30 minutes in a day. Fridays, you get to go, go in late to work, come home late, come home early from work. Friday mornings, set aside 30 minutes. One day a week, Saturday, pray for an hour before you get up and mow the lawn, before all the honeydews. If you set aside this kind of time, if you grow in your hunger for God's word and that time spent with God, set aside that time. Spend your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday with that 15 minutes of prayer, 15 minutes in the word. And then as your hunger grows, set aside those other times and watch the Spirit of God move in your life. Watch the Spirit of God testify in your life. Watch your recollection of the Scriptures come alive in your mind and in your heart so that when false teaching comes your way, you can say, I've got the acid test for that. And I can tell you, that's some gold in there, but it's not pure gold. Give me the Scriptures. Give me the apostles' teaching. Give me the truth. Give me the word of God. Because I, as a child of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, can by myself tell you if that's false teaching or if that's teaching from God. This is a great, great word right here. Ephesians 4.14. Then we will no longer be infants. As you grow in Christ through prayer, through worship, through service, through reading his word and understanding his word, you will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. There are people who will twist the word of God for sordid gain, for their own profit. There are people who will twist the word of God because they are so angry with God and what he has to say. They don't believe in election. They don't believe in predestination. They don't believe in eternal souls dying in hell for eternity. Oh, they want to change the scriptures through their scheming, through their own wiles and ways. They want to tear down God or tear you down. But as we stick with the scriptures, as we grow in Christ, we will be able to stand against the world's teachings. And it will not move us even though we mourn for them. Even though we mourn for the ones that they are teaching and the ones that are buying their false teaching, we will mourn for that, but we will not be moved in our own spirit. We will be standing on solid ground. I'm going to pray in closing. And then I have a challenge for you guys. Holy Father, we thank you that your Holy Spirit indwells us, that you've sealed your spirit in us, and that you've strengthened us, that you keep us and that you make us stand by your word. I pray, Father, that we will be like the Bereans, that we will be in your word testing every teaching that comes our way, testing everything that's taught from this pulpit, testing everything of every person that knocks on our door 
so that we might be able to distinguish false teaching from truth. Help us to know you. Help us to grow in you. Help us to have your joy and your love in our hearts. I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. I know you guys are all worried about the challenge. Is it up there? Oh, where's my challenge, guys? There's my challenge. Hey, okay, look, in your bulletin today, you received three of these things right here. What we're doing is we're making a major blitz for this Easter. So what we want you to do is pretend like this is the last Easter that it will be on the face of the earth and give these three tickets to somebody you've always wanted to come to Valley Bible to visit. I think Pastor Phil's preaching, so you won't have a substitute that day. (laughs) So take these and give it to three people that you've talked to, a friend, a neighbor that you've um, been interacting with, someone that you know. Pass out these three tickets. Now, next week, I'm going to have 15,000 door hangers. 15,000 door hangers. We're going to have a table at each of the doors here. Our ushers will pass out maps down your aisles. Don't, don't pick a map. Just pass them down. Take the first one that you get. When you get that map, go directly to one of those tables and pick up 30 door hangers. If you want more, that's fine, but pick up 30 door hangers. And take those door hangers to the designated area on your map. You'll have either the odd numbers or the even numbers on the street. Take your kids. If you have kids, they love this stuff. Man, my kids love it. Everybody that I know, I think Tim's five-year-olds run up and down the streets with door hangers. <laughs> it's, just, it's, a, it's an amazing family event. But what we want to do is have all of Valley going into the same areas. You'll see each other as you drive down a street. As you're winding your way up to your street, you'll see another Valley guy winding their way out to this street. And then as you're walking down your street on the odd side, another Valley person will be on the even side walking away down. It'll be like a, 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 a fun fest for Easter. It'll be a celebration, and we're just going to take the put these door hangers everywhere. We've reached two great milestones this year in evangelism. In evangelism, we had a kids expo over here in Hercules, and people were coming up to our table saying, we've seen your door hangers. Not one or two people, dozens of people. We gave out, I don't know, three, 4,000 door hangers last year, a couple thousand the year before, and they've seen our name. That's what we want. That's our first contact. We want them to see our name because when we visit people and knock on their door, they've heard our name, they've seen our name, they've met our people. So that first contact, the second contact, when we knock on the door of people who know our name, have been introduced to Valley already, it's a warm welcome. It is a really warm welcome. The other milestone that we've hit is we've had people come forward that said that they've received our welcome mugs. When somebody moves into the area, we can't get everybody, We try to get a 60 to 100 welcome mugs out every single month, 10 months out of the year. We try to get these welcome mugs out to people that have come into our area. They've moved from Zimbabwe. (laughs) They've moved from Peru. They've come in um, from Oakland. They've come in from Nevada. People have come into our area. We try to get this mug into their hands to let them know that there's a Bible-preaching church right around their corner. So if you can, please, if you... Or somebody says, I have a hard time walking, just say, hey, wait out that door with your map and grab some young family and say, you'll drive them. Take your maps and their map 
and then take and go hit those areas. It'll be a fantastic time. And as you come to Valley and you notice there's no parking, you got to park down here in the, in the parking way down here where the bus stations are, the transfer station, so we can make room for all the people that will be visiting us for the first time. And we'll have welcome gifts for 300 people out there in the parking lot. God bless you. Thank you.